Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. We're in the third week of our Harvest Prayer Focus for August. And uh, I think for me at least, in some ways, this is the hardest week because the first two weeks have been simple, clear, and encouraging. The first week we talked about how prayer is not only duty, but it is connected to relationship. And we wanted to see how our Father, though He's creator and sustainer of the universe, still is intimately involved in our lives and invites us to spend time with Him. That's an easy one to preach. And then uh, next week we talked about dependence. That's last week. And how depending on God, we need to get to a place where we are desperate in our need for him, where we have basically nothing. And I don't mean nothing in the physical or temporal sense, but in an eternal perspective and changing eternity, affecting people's eternity, we can only depend on God to bring about change. And those are good things because they help us see our need and our desire to be with God. And then along comes week three. And we're going to talk about alignment. It's kind of like, and I wish I had a video of this. I was thinking as I was sitting there doing the children's message. It would be really cool to have a video of some guy running a marathon and uh, looking good. It's mile 25 or whatever, and he's almost near the end. And he's definitely going to make it. And then suddenly you just throw a 150-pound pack on his back and you wipe him out. Which I think in some ways is going to be what this is like. Because there's going to be a condition when we deal with prayer. Let's read through Luke 11, 1 through 13. We'll pray and uh, then we'll hop into it. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I will tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, today as a corporate body, and even as we move through this campaign, we ask for your wisdom. 
We want to be wise. Not necessarily being wise in the way of having the great answers to questions that people might ask, but to be wise in your eyes, which means to be able to hear your voice and to know what it is that you're saying and with your strength and power to be able to do it. That's the wisdom that we ask for. And Father, even now as we listen, may we hear what you wish to speak to us. Not that you lay conditions to keep us from asking, but that you want us to see the grander picture of your kingdom and of eternity when we pray. And in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the first week we talked about how prayer is heartfelt communication with God. And we tried to get across the idea that one of the reasons why we don't pray more often than not is because we don't see the relational aspect of actually entering into communication with our Heavenly Father. What it usually boils down to is we see it as a duty, and because we have to do this thing, we feel obligated, we do it. And when we don't, we feel guilty. And our tendency normally is when we miss out, we feel guiltier, and the guiltier that we feel, the less we do it because we just feel so bad as how can I approach God when I haven't done what I'm supposed to be responsible with doing? And so we don't pray for that. And then last week, Pastor Jared was trying to look at another reason why we don't pray, which is we don't feel a desperation. Like we're not in this place where we're desperate. One of the things that's affected me as we've gone through this campaign is, is still just kind of remembering Pablo sitting up there and explaining how he's driving along one day and they stop him and they pull him out and uh, they put a gun to his head and they're going to kill him. And uh, I sit there and I think, wow, I could imagine being desperate. And I, I would imagine that he was because he, he didn't really speak a lot of English for us. But I could imagine him just saying, oh, God, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to see my wife and kids anymore. Um, and, and a desperation, I want to live. And, and I look at that and I think, I never experienced that. I mean, my greatest desperation is I'm running late to this meeting and this old lady's in front of me. Get out of the way. That's, that's where I'm at. And so a lot of times we don't pray because we're not desperate. And, and I think today another reason why we don't pray, and we're going to try and look at that, is that prayer doesn't always get answered the way we want it to get answered. We're praying for something. We're having that heartfelt communication with God. And then from our perspective, he lets us down. He disappoints us. I'd like to take a survey, uh, and I'm not going to, so you don't raise your hands or anything like that. But I would wonder how many of us here have really been disappointed with God. And I'm not saying that God has done something bad and we should get mad at him and let's have a revolution and overthrow him kind of thing. I'm just saying in reality, most, if not all of us, have been asking or desiring something and God didn't come through in the way that we thought that he should have come through. And so when we look at that, thinking that God would have answered and maybe even should have answered, it trains us not to pray because we think, why should I pray? Because nothing is going to happen. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to answer this question about what is this idea of unanswered prayer. Now, we've already read the text, but I just want to read verses 5 through 8 again. And I want to give us a little bit of an idea where we're going to head as we look at this and how it gets complex. Now, I know prayer is simple. It's a heartfelt expression, but it gets a little complex when we're going to add a couple things in. Verses 5 through 8 read this way. Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, here's the kind of thing. At midnight, how many of you stay up to at least midnight or beyond? Now, come on, don't be afraid. It's not, you're not going to shame me or anything. Yeah, probably a lot of us. So some of his parents are going, well, you stay up past midnight? What are you doing, man? <laughs> Get to bed. So when we read that, we think midnight, what's the big deal? But okay, if you're older like me and you like to go to bed at 1030 and you know how you get into that sleep, right? And uh, then somebody like the phone rings and your heart, you, you wake up and your heart is racing, right? Because you're scared that, you know, the only reason you receive a phone call at midnight is that someone is severely sick in the hospital or someone has died. It's some crisis that's happened, right? Well, that's what I mean, or what, what Jesus here is meaning by midnight. Not our term of midnight, but his term of midnight. Because back in those days, they didn't have TV. They didn't stay up to midnight when the sun went down. You know, you light up the fireplace, you hang out for a little bit, and then you go to sleep. So midnight. So here's this guy who has a friend coming to his house, maybe about 1130, and he's knocking on the door, and he says, Hey, I have traveled this great distance And uh, you're my only friend in the city. You're the only person I know. And you know what, man? We need somewhere to sleep. But, dude, we are hungry. We are really hungry. And in those days when you'd come, the host would say, it's my obligation. It is my desire. I want to meet your needs. So if you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. If you need a bed, we're going to give you a bed to sleep in. Uh, We'll wash clothes. We'll do whatever it is because, in a sense, though you're not family, you're family. We want you to be here and want you to be comfortable. So the guy goes to the cupboard and he looks and he says, whoa, hold on a minute. I don't have any food, which if you walked back in and said, hey, uh, well, Alan, thanks for coming to my house uh, for dinner. But I got to tell you, I don't have anything for dinner. That would be a little embarrassing. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house late at night. The guy's already sleeping and he's pounding on the door. And he says, he doesn't say, dude, Okay, this is my interpretation. He says, dude, I need some food because it rhymes. And he says, we need some food. And the guy's in bed. He says, hey, wait a minute, man. Uh, we're asleep here. Hello. Don't you get it? It's dark out. Everybody's asleep. If I get up, I'm going to wake up the kids. And how many of you parents, when you have sleeping kids, like to wake them up in the middle of the night, right? Isn't that one of your favorite things? I love to go in the room at 2 in the morning, and I shake Dan, and I say, get up. No, I don't do that because it's rude. So the neighbor here, though, is in a bad position because he wants to be a good host. And as a good host, he keeps knocking on the door. Well, what happens? Slip down, verse 8. I tell you, though, even though he won't get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. What Jesus is trying to communicate here is, listen, when you're praying, you have a need. And so you come to God and you knock on the door. You persist. June, what was the word that your Bible uses? Where are you? She was here. There you go. What was the word? Shameless audacity. You have to have the shameless audacity to come before God. A boldness that says, you are my father. You are the creator and sustainer of the universe. You have everything. Everything that ones can need. So Jesus is saying, come to your father. Because you know what? As much as an inconvenience that you think that it is, He's willing to answer. But Jesus, go on. He he illustrates it a little bit more so. And he says, verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Kind of like today. You know, we're walking around the halls. It's all dark. We go up to the uh, custodians here and we ask, Hey, can you turn on the light? Isn't that kind of spiritual? And then the darkness flees when they flip the switch. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. How so? We were looking for them. Hey, where are these guys? 
They're hiding. So we find them, we seek, we find. We knock on the door and it's open to you. Or better put, we flip the switch and the lights are on. What is Jesus trying to say? Jesus is saying, listen, this is an invitation. It is a blatant, outright invitation that God gives to everyone who prays to come and ask. And like we did in the first week, and we won't even look at verses 11 through 13, the whole idea is, you know what, as a parent, there's a great willingness and desire to give. If we have it, we will give it. I won't turn to my kids when they're going to college and they'll say, hey, you know what, we need tuition for school. And uh, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not going to give it to you. Even though I have a million dollars in the bank, I'm not giving it to you. I don't care. You're not getting it. No, the idea is if I have a million dollars, I'm giving it to you and then some. That's the idea that Jesus is trying to give his disciples that when they approach in prayer, that they should be asking. There is an invitation to come and say, hey, this is our heartfelt need. We are pouring out our hearts to you, our father. And so we pray. Now, here comes that 150 pound pack right in the middle of the marathon at mile 25, which, of course, mile 25 is not the middle of the marathon, so please don't write me an email telling me this 26.2. I understand that. Go to verse 2. Here's the crux of what we're going to look at today. Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Here's the crusher. There is a king... And there is a kingdom that we must consider when we pray. Let me say it again. There is a king and there is a kingdom that we must consider when we pray. It does not negate the heavenly father at all. It is a fuller expression of the heavenly father who is a king. Now, when I say the word king, how many of you think of something that's pleasant? Probably not a lot of us. And, and again, how many of us have ever lived under a king? Anyone here lived under a king at all? I mean, it's possible. Someone here British? Well, of course, don't write me and say Queen Elizabeth. Not, okay. The idea is when, when you're a monarch, you can do whatever you say. So uh, it's Ryan, right? I'm the king. Let's just pretend. And I don't want you to go like, oh, my goodness, what kind of church? I think he's king. No, but if I were the king... And I would say to you, you know what? I really don't like the fact that you are sitting there in the front seat. You need to go in back. If I were the king, you actually wouldn't have much of an option. The church said that you'd have no option and that you would have to go in back. The, 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 the bigger picture, though, is when a king says something beyond just where a person sits, everybody must do it. That's it. There's no options. You can't sit there. Wait, wait a minute, Mr. King. We're a democracy. We're a republic. Don't you understand that we have to take a vote on this? He would say, no, we are not. Off with your head. And that's the end of it. That's the concept of what a king is. It's not the king of queens. It's not some big doofus walking around being self-absorbed with his wife who's also self-absorbed. That's not what a king is. When a king says something, it must be done. No ifs, ands, or buts. And living in his kingdom, the ultimate goal that Jesus even came here to be for is to see that God's kingdom would be expressed in our individual lives, in our corporate lives, in our community, in our world. And ultimately, when we say God's kingdom, what we mean is the rule of God in our lives, in our corporate community, in our world as a whole. 
So when Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, what he's saying is there is a king. There is a holy king. There is a king who is above it all. And this king's purpose and goal is to express his kingdom in the world because even though people think religious people are crazy freaks and nuts who want to control other people's lives, the reality is that God wants to control everybody's lives, but not because he's a control freak, but because he is God, he is father, he is creator, he is sustainer, and he knows what is best. And he acts out of a father's heart to see his kingdom expressed in our world. Does that make sense? And so when we come to prayer, we often think if I just pour out my heart, God listens and God will respond in the manner in which I would like him to respond. And I would say one of the complaints that I have with God is that he often doesn't listen to the way I see things and want things done. And I think the reason is because he sees a bigger and a better picture than I do. I don't agree with him. Don't get me wrong. But I understand that one day when I stand before him, he's going to say, you asked for this. This is what would have happened if you'd received that. And now don't you see that what I gave you is so much better? Because I love you. I don't want you to head in this direction. Now, mind you. In our household, well, when we talk about sex and society and all those things, an outsider might look and say, wow, you guys are, are, are prudes. I mean, you're like helicopter parents always telling your kids, you know, be careful of this, be careful of that, don't do this, don't do that, dress this way, do be more, whatever. It's like, wow, you're just like all over this, like flies on dung on a hot summer day. Relax, chill out. But as a parent... Having gone through teen years and seeing all the things that people go through, my expression of love is to say those things because I see a better way. Not because I don't want my kids to experience sex. I hope they have tons of it when they're married. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I should have said, hey, wait a minute, come your kids here, right? <laughs> and hopefully they heard the second part. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, though? There's a better way. I, I, I can only tell you this. And, you know, okay, cover your kids' ears is a little too explicit. I'm sorry. But some of the greatest spiritual moments happen in marriage in that way. And that's what it's been for me in my life. That's what I'm trying to tell my kids. Listen, there is a much better way. There's a lot of goodness. There's a lot of fun in that. And, people are, and the reason people are doing that is because it is. But there's a better way. So when we're coming to God in prayer, there's nothing wrong with coming to God and saying, I am your servant. Here is my heartfelt expression of what I see is going on in my life. And I am coming to you as my father because I know as my father, you love me more than anyone else, even more than I love myself. And I know you have a perspective that is grander than my perspective. And I know that your perspective is based on a kingdom. And I know you know what is best. So I'm going to express myself, my heart, but not my will, but your will, because you are my king who seeks to establish his kingdom in my life. That's not easy. I tried to think of people like Joseph who does what is right and is thrown in prison. 
I try to think of someone like Job, who almost maybe is the first helicopter parent in Scripture, who is running around and offering sacrifices for his children just in case they made a sin against God. He wanted to make sure that it was covered. Loses his children. I can't tell you. You know, I, I remember last time I bragged, I almost... I just, I love my children so much. Even sitting here just thinking, God, I am so blessed that I have these kids. I wouldn't trade them for the world. And you know, I'd like to say I want more, but I don't because I'm tired. But it's just so, so great to experience the lives of all five of my children. And I know they run around and saying that little Janie is my favorite and all that other stuff. But that's not true. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So you can't see that on tape, which is a reason why you should be here on Sunday, right? I just, I just, you know, I don't know. It's like, have you ever swam? I don't, Pastor David freak out if I said this, but I love hot water, okay? And I could swim in hot water all day long. That'd be just awesome. And I don't mean like the blue turning water, hot water. I mean hot water, if you know what I mean, because never mind. But when I am with my family, that's what I feel like. It's like, wow, I really do not want to leave this environment. That's the heart of God. But he's a king. And that can't be forgotten. Because when we come and pray and we understand that this king wants to establish his kingdom, it is going to be in his way because he sees the better way. He sees the fuller way. And so the reason I think that many of our prayers go unanswered is that we come to God asking for something that is legitimate, something that is good but is not best or God's way to do it. Think of things like finances. You could be struggling financially and you come to scripture and it says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That means he's rich. He's got the bling if you want to go that far. He's got everything. So why am I struggling financially? I don't know. I don't want you to. You don't want you to. And we know that the Father heart of God doesn't want you to. But there's got to be something that's kingdom something that says you're going through this for a reason. Now, I don't want to be... Someone who says, you know, let's just crush all our feelings. Let's have those feelings. Let's not be disappointed. Just accept it. No, that's not the call of prayer. God is not saying just accept it. He's saying in the end, it needs to be accepted. But let's not just say, oh, you know, whatever God says, I'll do. That's not the attitude that he's looking for. The attitude is whatever God says, I want to do. Because I am your servant and you are a king and you want to express your kingdom through me. Losing your finances, maybe even going bankrupt, not because of a loss of, or, uh, of, of a lack of stewardship. Like you're just spending money whatsoever and saying, hey, I'm going to go bankrupt and see what God can do. No, I'm not suggesting that. But because you have lost your job and you can't afford to pay for your house anymore because you've lost something and you can't understand where like Joseph, you've done what is right or like Job, you've done what is right, but this has gone wrong. I don't understand why that happened to them and I don't understand why you would lose your finances in that manner, but it's happened and maybe there is a kingdom thing that God can not only show you, but through you show everyone else that God even in the midst of our pain, still walks with us. And even though he doesn't take the bad circumstances from our lives, he is with us and we can trust him, which is hard in the midst of those difficult situations. It's almost like when we're praying for someone to get healthy. 
The unfortunate thing, and it is a tragedy that breaks the heart of God. Even Jesus, when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, the reason he wept wasn't the fact that Lazarus was dead. He didn't go, oh, my, Lazarus is dead. I'm crying. crying." He wept because he looked at the world and saw that this is not what it should be. His tears were a corporate tear that said, this sucks. Now, I don't think he would use that language, so I apologize for that. But this world is falling apart, and it breaks my heart to see this pain. I cannot change that pain. People die. Everyone here will die unless on December 21st, 2012, it ends in another manner. Do you know what I'm saying? So when we pray for people and they die, and trust me, I hate it when people die. I hate it when little kids die. I hate it when young parents die and they leave behind a wife or a, or a husband and all those kids. That is tragedy. But I want to say it breaks the heart of God more than any of us. But the king and his kingdom see something that we do not. And what I'm trying to say is rather than us saying, God, I quit. I'm not praying. It doesn't work. I've prayed for this. I've prayed for that. And you haven't come through. Maybe, just maybe, God has withheld his hand of favor because there is something better. And personally, if we were in a court of law and I were a judge, I would strike the maybes. There is something better. Unfortunately, I have no idea what it is. Unfortunately, I will probably never be able to explain why it is you're going through what you're going. I can walk with you. We can try and experience the same things in the midst of our pain. But to fully understand what God is doing, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I pray, I think to myself, God, you are the most arbitrary God ever. Of course, you're the only God, so that was kind of a goofy statement. But how is it that some people can ask for these things and see great things happen and those, the rest of us, sit there and ask for these things and wonder, what is going on? Why don't you bless us? And then, of course, I feel bad because when I really think of my life and I think even in the struggles and the difficulties and pains that I have, when I think of some guy with a gun to his head, everything that I have is shattered. And, and even last week with that, the guy at Grip who's, who's right in the inner city and seeing all that garbage going on, and I think to myself, really? My problems are really that bad? Come on. And again, I'm not minimizing your pain. Please, trust me, don't leave here going, why is he minimizing? I'm not doing that at all. Pain is pain. It doesn't matter what form it is in. If you lose a pinky or you lose a leg, it's still pain. And I'm not, not trying to say that your pain is a pinky and somebody else's is the loss of a leg. But what I'm trying to say, for me personally, when I look at it, I think, wow, can I really be that upset when I am so blessed, when I have so much? When our family members on the other side of the world who were meeting in house church yesterday, according to their time, are sitting there wondering when the police are going to come in and drag them off to prison when I can sit here and I can say whatever I want in a free America. So why do we struggle to pray? Because we've had all of these unanswered prayers and we wonder to ourselves, God, what are you doing? I can give you no comfort today other than to say that there is a king who is seeking to establish his kingdom in your life, in our community, in our world. And he's not a despot. 
But he has a father's heart. He cares for us. Now, I don't know how many of you guys get into Korean dramas. And I'm not going to take a survey because a few of you will be embarrassed. Right now already, Lindsay's looking somewhere else. My favorite Korean drama, and I say this almost every month, is The Immortal Yi Sun Sun. Did anyone see that one? Has anyone other than me seen that? Because I just love that. Gene, did, did you say yes? Oh, no, you're just, okay. Man, if you haven't watched it, I'm, this is a few things that, and, and, you know, like sometimes Pastor Dave gives movie recommendations and I watch the movie and I think, wow, what did he see? Because I didn't see what he saw. But I'm telling you, if you watch this, 105, <laughs> it's 105 episodes, but man, <laughs> trust me, every time I see it, every time I see it, there is a leadership lesson. There is a heart that cares for people. That man cared for the people that he shepherded. He was not a pastor. He was a military man. But he refused to risk their lives because he saw a better way. And even when the king said to him, brother, actually he didn't say brother, you do what I tell you or it's over. And he said, no way. See, the picture is the king who has no heart for his people. The real king, in a symbolic sense, was the one who cared for his men and refused to send them into battle that would lead to their death. The king that we have is a king who, when he says something, we must do. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. When Ezekiel lost his wife, God said, don't cry, bro. Move on. For us too. When God says something, he's the king. He's got a kingdom picture in mind. He wants to establish something that is better than what we can think or imagine. We have to trust that he is God and that he knows what he's doing. Your pain may be over years. You're stuck in something that's been there for years. The king comes alongside of you like a father and says, I'm here with you. But we got to do this. And we got to do it my way. Because if we do it my way, even the day you die and you don't see what the fruit was, trust me, there's fruit. There's fruit. Paul experienced unanswered prayer, right? Three times I asked God, remove this thorn. God said, no, that's your way. We take away this thorn, boom, you're good. You're feeling great. But the kingdom lesson is lost. And now, 1950 years later, we'll still talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Who knows what we'll be talking about as you go through your thorn, through your experience, through your valley of the shadow of death. And how people see that. And they see a grander God. Though some will say, you're a fool. How dare you let this loving God do that to you? There's a bigger picture. There's a grander picture. So how do we get to this place? We get to this place of trusting God by learning how to be silent before him and trusting that he really knows. 
I think the reason Jesus spent so much time in prayer, when I hear, you know, Jesus spent all this time in prayer, and I think that Jesus, like me, gets on his knees, and he just says, God, we need this, God, we need that, don't you see this? We need this, and we need that, and we need this, and we need that, and now that I've given you a hundred things that we need, God, let's get to work. I wonder if what Jesus really did was said, God, here's the situation. You know it. You know it well. You know it best. You know what is for the best. Now, speak to me. And listen. And in that quiet time, there are many times, and it takes time, for us to learn to get to a place to hear the voice of God and say, no, here's the better way. Your way makes sense. Your way is good. But it's not the best. Trust me. Be willing to listen, because I know what's going on better than you do. In fact, I see things that you don't see. I get it. Trust me. It's a bigger picture, a kingdom picture, that when that kingdom is established, you will see the fruitfulness. You will see the blessing that it brings not only to you, but to everyone. And that doesn't mean the pain is gone. But this is the bigger picture of what God wants us to do. It's trusting him. Coming like Jesus and saying, not my agenda. Because Jesus was about to lose it all. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Everything. Gone. In an instant. Yes, it would be restored. He knew that it would be restored. And let me tell you today, you may lose everything. For Christ. Everything. Most likely not. Most possibly, yes. Because God wants to bring us to that place where as his children, we can come before our Father, the King. We can lift up our hands like that picture and say, I surrender. I don't know what's best. I may not really enjoy this, but I love you. And I will do what you tell me because I know you can be trusted. And that you love me. Pain, lasting, long-lasting, difficult, hard-to-bear pain. But you come beside me and you walk with me. Because you're my father who has created and sustained this universe and knows best. Not an easy message to swallow. But I think it's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That you can't just run up and say, give me everything. And expect it without realizing God has the grander picture and the greater blessing in mind. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's so overwhelming to think that we can come before you in our weakness, our struggles, our failures, And be able to pour out, pour out our hearts to you. While you watch over the lives of six billion other people and the rest of the universe and all that is in that. And yet you call us into relationship, into prayer. Into prayer that not only talks but listens. Jesus, teach us 
how to listen. To be able to hear your voice. And not to freak out about the many needs that are around us, knowing that you know them better and know so many more than the rest of us. God, let your Father heart sink into our hearts and our minds. And may our will willingly bend its knee to you, our King, and to your kingdom, knowing that even in our pain, our desperation, our inability to go a step further, our feelings of wanting to just quit and give it all up, that you are there with us. Though we may not see you or feel you, and maybe even not trust you, or maybe even be angry, disappointed, and discouraged by your lack of response. We ask, come, Lord Jesus, fill your people. Teach us to pray. Not to say words, but to really pray. What I'd like us to do is just take a few moments in the quiet of your heart to just listen. If you're like me, there will be a million and a half distractions. That's okay. Because his call is for us to be here with him. Rest in that. And if that's the only thing that you walk away with, that's okay. It's not okay forever because we want to keep moving forward. But if you just need to be here and in his presence, just be so. Don't worry about the other things. Worry about what other people might be experiencing or not experiencing. In this moment, it's you and your Father. Just be. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.